everybody. Uh, welcome back to week three of Zach and I rank our favorite movies. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying these so far. Uh, they've been a lot of fun and I hope you're going to see our personalities a little bit more. Um, I'm going to do Federico Fellini today. And, um, I, I, you know, this was an interesting one for me because I had probably seen, let's call it three or four of his movies before I started this. I had seen Eight and a Half. Uh, I knew that I loved it. I had seen Amarcord. And the first time I saw it, I actually did not like it, but I'll get into what, what turned me on that movie. Um, and I had seen Knights of Kiberia uh, and, you know, like, oh, and La Dolce Vita, those were the four. So I knew that I generally liked him. I thought he was an interesting guy. Uh, eight and a half for, for a long time, I said, it was my favorite film. Um, but I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I think, you know, I'm glad I did him after Kurosawa because I think one of the things that came true to me as I was going through his filmography, uh, Fellini's filmography, that is, is, you know, Kurosawa's big into uh, realism. Even his, you know, movie where it's more about his dreams and about the art and about his imagination, it's still very grounded in, in something real and personal for him. Uh, and I think Fellini, you know, he, he is also very authentic, even though he jokes about calling himself a born liar. That's a famous quote that he had. Um, you know, what he meant by that, I think, is just more he's like a rascal. Um, and, you know, you, you, the, the truth isn't always what it seems at first. And this is a theme that comes up uh, in, a, in a big way in all of his movies, but not in the sense that it's ever a plot point um, that I can think of, but more that it's woven into every character. So one of the things that has, has really blown me away of, of going through all Fellini's uh, films is that very few characters are one dimensional. You know, if he's going to show um, uh, a sex worker like in Knights of Kiberia, she's going to be this incredibly rich, dense person with a lot of history and uh, a lot of personality outside of her profession. Um, if he's going to show a faithful husband, uh, like in some of the shorts that he made or in uh, some of the movies where there's an attempted faithful husband, you know, he's going to show the other side of them as well, the rascal and the, uh, the womanizer. But then at the same time, somebody who's trying to be uh, have, a, you know, I guess, maintain the fidelity of the relationship. And so it, there's always two truths uh, in the characters. And I think that's true in a lot of the interpretations of his movies. There's never one single truth. Um, and I think that's it, my version of what he meant by being a born liar. And it's, it's one thing that I was really drawn to in his films. And, and one reason why I think I am glad I saw him after Kurosawa, because it was sort of a, this journey for me of going from somebody highly artistic and highly technical and highly capable and a beautiful storyteller grounded in, in realism to somebody who started out in neorealism and then switched into fantasy and, you know, borderline experimental filmmaking later in his career, uh, but definitely a surrealist a, and, and one of the most commercial of the surrealist artists, uh, at least in filmmaking. So that's just a little bit of background of, of who Fellini was um, for me and, and why I like him so much and uh, what why, you know, I'll, I'll go through this in a moment, but there's very few of his films that I don't like. Uh, and that's, that's a big reason why. Okay, so let's just jump in. Um, I just wanna give a, a five, you know, two minute, five minute background here on Fellini himself. So if you look at uh, IMDB, there's 28 credits where he's listed as the director, right? The majority of them are either uh, feature-length films, anthology films, uh, a few TV productions, uh, and some shorts and, and ads later in his life. And that's pretty much it. So he was a, he was a feature film director. Uh, and as his uh, career went on, as he became more experimental, um, he also then got into shorts. But for a long time, he was a, a feature film director and somebody who really could hold a, a large vision and a very ambitious vision um, on Italian budgets, which are lower than typical Hollywood budgets, right? So um, he did get some international financing, of course, but he never had, you know, Michael Bay money or these, these big Hollywood director kind of um, backing. He was, he was doing it all through um, the Italian studios and the Italian financing system. Um, one of the other trends that I think I just want to mention is if you go through the history of his writers, it kind of paints an interesting picture of some of the rumors about Fellini. You know, he started his career really rooted in, in neorealism. 
And I think that attracts a certain type of writer and creator. And as his career went on and he started getting into more experimental and surrealist art, uh, he, his writers changed, his kind of core team of writers changed. And I am only hypothesizing, but I can't imagine that that's a coincidence. And I have heard on some of the special features and some of the booklets talking about having a split, a creative split with some of his writers um, that, that stayed in that more realistic style of filmmaking. So um, anyways, I, I think, look, he, he first film was in 1950. It was Variety Lights. And the last feature he made was in 1990. So he has a 40 year career. Uh, in that time, I'm gonna talk about 24 uh, pieces of work. There's two ads. If you look at the 28 director credits, there's two ads. Uh, and, and two shorts um, that I'm not covering. So that takes it down to 24 uh, features, which I'll be ranking. And uh, yeah, let's jump into it. So right out of the gate, we're gonna go 24, 23, 22, and 21. And this is, there's only one feature in this lot. Um, uh, and, and there's some reasons for this. So. 24, uh, I'm, I'm, it's uh, Fellini, A Director's Notebook, 1969. And I actually, this is a, I saw this as a special feature on one of his discs. I believe it's the special feature on, is it the rare, rare video? No, or maybe it's even the, maybe it's even the um, Criterion set, actually. Maybe it's the Essential Fellini set. Is that right? But anyways, there's, it's a special, the only time I saw this was a special feature on one of the recordings. And um, the, the actual video and audio quality is quite bad. Um, so it's a little difficult for me to follow and understand, but essentially it's kind of a, a you know, well, let me take one step back. So one of the things that Fellini does in some of his documentaries that I think anybody familiar with Abbas Kirstami's work does as well, some of the Iranian filmmakers, is that Fellini challenges this idea of the narrative versus the documentary style of filmmaking and what is really real, what is really, you know, fiction. And that's on display here. Um, it's the, the purpose of this doc is to kind of follow Fellini around. This was made for television and it's meant to just kind of show him, uh, show a life, you know, day in the life. Uh, but as you quickly find out, it, there's, it's probably, you know, 80% true or 90% true, but it's not 100% real. And I don't think he even really hides that fact. Um, but it is, it's even within that, it still provides some interesting insight into the, the man and, and the style of, uh, you know, filmmaking and the productions. Um, 23 is his short with Terrence Stamp. Um, and it's part of, a th so three films and the actual film set, um, I only have the French title, Historias Extraordinarias, or the Spanish title, excuse me. Um, but it's three shorts, and the directors are Federico uh, Fellini, Louis Mal, and Roger Vadim. Um, these were okay. Um, I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Oh, Spirits of the Dead is what it's called, of course. That's, that's right. That's what the anthology is called in English, Spirits of the Dead. Uh, it's okay. Um, I, you know, there's some people that say that their, their favorite is the Fellini one. Um, and Terrence Stamp does a good job. Um, yeah, it's okay. It, it's, it, it, I didn't like uh, Terrence Stamp as much. These are all based on Edgar Allan Poe shorts. Um, and I personally did not really like the Roger Vadim one. And uh, so the Louis Mall and the uh, Fellini one were the were ranked it a little higher for me. But overall, this is yeah, three and a half, it's, it's okay. It doesn't really feel like a Fellini movie. Um, uh, but if you're looking for it, it is on, I believe it's actually on the Criterion set, the sh his, uh, his version or his short as part of the anthology. I believe it's on the Essential Fellini set and it's just called Toby Dammit. So you can look that up and just watch his part with Tony, uh, with Terrence Stamp. Um, uh, and he's basically, yeah. Go check it out if, you, if you're a completionist uh, or if you just disagree. I know some people really like this movie. For me, it never caught on. Uh, and it, I can tell that he's not uh, a horror director. But um, yeah, anyways. So going down to 22, the Italian title is Il Bidone. And the English title is sort of a loose translation. It's not a perfect translation, but it's called The Swindlers. 
Uh, I actually went back and forth on this one. So I gave it three stars and it's mostly because of the ending. So, you know, this is a, it's an interesting story for about the first 90 minutes. I was ready to rank this as one of my favorite movies. Um, you see this, these uh, con men start to pull, I guess, like financial scams on some of the more vulnerable members of, of the community. And they're really nasty fellas, like real, real despicable people. Uh, and they're, it contrasts, the, this is what I'm talking about with these multiple truths in a Fellini movie, right? They turn it off. So they're, they're you know, swindling in their con artistry. They turn off at five o'clock and they go home and they're family men. And, you know, they have, they have families and they have a social life and they go drinking and they have fun and they're, they're normal people. And then when they need to, they, they, they switch and they go into this mode of, of being criminals and it was it's great like I, I really was enjoying the movie um and then the last you know 20 or 25 minutes it it's just the i think he was trying to give a very specific message and i won't spoil it um the problem was unlike later fellini movies uh he just really kind of beat you over the head with the message and it was very annoying i i hated it actually um maybe you know some people would say it was well done uh I'm, I'm certainly open to that feedback if you liked it but it was way too i don't know what's that saying on the nose for me anyways it was way too obvious for me just not the typical kind of i, I don't feel like it was lazy for him let me just put it that way because he usually puts so much thought and effort into his endings and um i, I did not like it and so i um yeah that, this one is ranked lower for me even though i loved the first 90 minutes, a lot. It wound up falling because I thought it ended quite poorly. Um, this is a part of the Essential Fellini set. So this is an early movie for him. It's 1955. And uh, it's it's part of the Essential Fellini set from Criterion. Oh, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not doing they shoot pictures. Uh, I should actually, I'll start doing that now that we're getting into some of his feature films. So um, at the time that I wrote this, it was 1700. So the world obviously disagrees with me on here. Um, and look, I, I get it. Um, like I said, the first part of this movie is, is quite amazing. It's currently 1,766th best movie of all time. So uh, ah, anyways, give it a shot if you want to. I, I did not like it. 21, I'm going to put another anthology picture ahead of this. I love this anthology set. So the direct, it's called Love in the City, La Amore in Chitta. Uh, the directors are Fellini, Cesare Zavattini, Antonioni, uh, a guy named Dino Risi, Carlo Lizani, Francesco Maselli, and Alberto Latuada. So I'm going to come back to Alberto Latuada in a moment. He was a very influential uh, creator and director in Fellini's uh, early career. Uh, I'll just say that Love in the City has a fantastic spirit to it. It's funny. I gave it four and a half stars. I would have ranked it higher. Uh, the only reason why it was ranked where it was was just because it was a short film, not a feature, but I loved it. I think like of all the anthologies, you know, in, including a lot of horror anthologies, I think this group, this, you know, this group of uh, creators used it in, in a wonderful way. And it's currently ranked as the 19,898th best movie of all time. Uh, I'm assuming that's just because of the anthology format, but it is, it's great. Uh, please watch this out or seek this out. Uh, try to find it if you can. It is on, so there's a company called Raro, R-A-R-O, Raro Video. And they put out uh, Italian movies specifically in the U.S. And, and in Italy, but they have a U.S. division. And so it's released from them. Uh, it has commentary on all of the uh, individual shorts. And so it's, uh, anyways, it, it's a good high quality film. The sound is good. And uh, I think it's, it's well worth a watch. And again, one of my favorite anthologies. So now we're getting into the top 20. Uh, I said this in Kurosawa and I'll say this here as well. I don't think there's a bad uh, movie in this lot. So the difference between 20 for me and you know top five for me here is gonna be kind of quibbling or maybe there's individual aspects that I liked better. Um, but uh, there was something charming in all of these films and something that resonated with me. Uh, quite deeply. So let's start with number 20. It's uh, 
in Italian, it's La Voce della Luna. It's the voice of the moon. And this has, uh, it's uh, definitely a late, so this is Fellini's last movie. And it had at the time a rising Italian comedic star, Roberto Benini as the star. And uh, there, there's an interesting trend here that I guess it's uh, kind of, I'm getting into it backwards a little bit because uh, it was a theme throughout his work. But there's an interesting trend where Fellini, you know, has this idea of the, the moon energy, right? The energy from the moon and uh, the, the effect on the moon on love and lust and what it does to people. And a lot of that is on display here in this film as well. Um, and it's, there's, there's a moment in the movie just to give you an idea of the surrealism that Fellini brings in to his commercial pictures. So there's a moment in this movie where they actually capture the moon and hide it. And so it's, uh, you know, this is a very playful, fun story. Um, it, it feels like a Fellini movie uh, and it also feels like maybe like a late Woody Allen or some of these movies where it, it's pieces of it. You can see elements of it, but it's certainly not peak. And so for me, that's, uh, that's why it's ranked a little bit lower. Uh, it's, it's not peak Fellini. I still really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, I did not, I, I'm kind of torn on Roberto Benini overall, uh, to be honest, but he was good in this. Critics put this as the 8,517th best movie. So certainly there's Fellini movies that are higher, but uh, it's, it's appreciated and I, I can respect that. Okay. Um, now, uh, a really fun one. So there is a, another anthology piece next, uh, number 19, is a, uh, ninth, a movie that was made in 1962 called Boccaccio 70. And this is another one of these anthology films. Uh, this one is super fun. I'm pretty sure it's a Kino release. And the, uh, it has, basically it's a tale of, of uh, lust or love in, in different ways. So it's uh, Fellini, De Sica, Lucino Visconti, and then Mario Monicelli. And those are the four directors that make up this anthology. I gave it five stars when I rated it. Um, the only reason it's 19 again is just kind of because of the anthology format. But this one, even more than Love in the City, uh, this one is awesome. Like this movie is, it's funny. Uh, it probably has some of my favorite comedic shorts in it. Um, and it's, it's again, ranked low, I think because of the format, 19,913th best picture of all time. Uh, I think if you were to abstract, you know, any one of the individual films in this, and put them, make them into a feature length, they'd be a lot higher. Um, this has this great scene. Fellini's uh, one in particular is, uh, is hilarious uh, as a, there's a kind of a prudish guy who's falling in love with the billboard. And uh, it just watches him as, it's, as the billboard actually comes to life and it becomes almost like a monster movie, but it's amazing. So find Boccaccio 70. Like I said, I'm pretty sure it's a Kino release. Uh, give it a shot if you can you will not be disappointed. Uh, okay, number 18. So we're going now into the, some of these movies are extremely personal for Fellini. So Director's Notebook certainly was that, but the format itself was, uh, was just more lazy or, 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 I mean, not lazy, I guess, but casual, let's just call it that way. So 1970, he made a documentary uh, that's, again, one of these ones where it's maybe 90% truth. Uh, but it's called The Clowns. Uh, it has, this is the other release that I have um, from him from Raro Video. So it's, uh, um, there's, there's a really interesting, uh, well, one of his shorts is on here, uh, but there's an interesting visual kind of essay on the, it's called Fellini Circus, that on this disc that I think is worth checking out. Um, but here's the thing, you know, Fellini grew up uh, interested in the circus he shares that with uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. And he grew up loving the spectacle, uh, loving the absurdity of it. And a lot of his pictures, you know, he's almost putting on a circus in some of his movies uh, by the visuals that he brings in and the faces he brings in. And, and he kind of takes that spirit of a circus and brings it into his productions. 
Um, so where there's always something interesting to put your eyes on and, and it's very engaging. And it's, it's like that style of entertainment and the, the rhythm of a circus and the loudness of a circus, you know, catches your attention and draws you in. Like that's in a lot of his movies. And so this is a, a, a love letter to clowns. And a love letter to being is, uh, you know, the a part of that old style of, of entertainment that's sort of dying out um, and and paying respect to it. And there's a it's it a very personal film for him. And the only, I, honestly, it's one that I gave three and a half stars. Um, I, I like the movie a lot. I think if I were to watch it again, it might even be higher. But um, it's documentary as opposed to some of his features. And he gets pretty ambitious here, starting with the next one. So number 17, and this is, okay, if you've seen this movie, uh, La Citta della Donna, I hope I'm saying that right, City of Women, if you've seen it and you would rank it higher, I would not fight you at all. This movie is awesome. It's totally bananas. Uh, it's rated as the 6,822nd best movie of all time. Uh, this movie did not make it into the Essential Fellini set, so I actually had to go to a French release from a company called Gaumont, or Gaumont, I don't know if you say the T. Um, it's, luckily it had English subtitles, so I was able to watch it, it's region free. Uh, I am surprised that Criterion hasn't put this out. I'm, it's just, the only thing I can think of is maybe rights issues, but uh, it's made in 1980. This is to me sort of one of Fellini's, if, if you look through his filmography, this to me kind of represents, he had this phase of his career um, where he was trying big things. So orchestra rehearsal, I'll get into that. Uh, Casanova right before that. Ship sails on right after this. He had this phase in his career where he was really making these big productions and trying something very daring. And I think what City of Woman is for me is like, it's, uh, it's that. And it's in the context of being a, a story about uh, an aging Marcello Mastroianni. He starts on a train and he, he falls off this train or jumps off this train or gets off this train and he finds himself uh, in a kind of a forest and he goes into this kind of like large, like almost like a conference style hotel. Um, and from there it descends into this fantasy and dream and escapism around his relationship with women uh, and his wife comes in at one point, but it's just, it's an extremely Fellini movie. And you, you see this character who's lustful and chasing his desires, but also trying to be, uh, trying to do the right thing. And he's conflicted, but the way that he shows his conflict, internal conflict is to kind of keep pushing forward and, and just figure it out as he goes. Um, it has some amazing visuals, City of Women, very cool, interesting visuals. And uh, the ending is, is uh, I think, something that would be worth discussing. Don't want to spoil it, but, uh, you know, it's a, some, some people might say it's a lazy ending and, and it might be why it's ranked a little lower. Um, for me, that is true, but I could say some people saying they really loved it as well and it's the only possible way this could be wrapped up. Um, so uh, if, if you have seen it and you're open to talking about it, come find me on Reddit or on Instagram or something and let's chat. Um, but then, we're getting into some of these really heavy hitters here. So number 16 for me is Fellini's Roma. And this is on the essential Fellini set. So it's a, it's a 1972 movie and it's ranked in the top 1000. So let's see, currently it's ranked as, um, it was 617 last year. And uh, well, I'll find it here in a moment, but anyways, it's, it's right around there, I'm sure. And so, this is a, let's see, here it is, 610 now, perfect. So uh, the thing is, Roma is a movie that I, I wanted to love. And there are certain moments in Roma that I adored uh, and would say a rank is some of my favorite in his filmography, but Essentially what he did is he took this kind of anthology idea that he's had in other, you know, been involved with some of the ones I've spoken about and he kind of made his own anthology film. Um, 
where it, there's like, it's like loosely tied around a plot of a young Fellini kind of going around a city and trying to, trying to make his way uh, around Rome. Um, it, it almost feels like a, a version of maybe, you know, Kurosawa's dreams. I don't know how many of the stories in Roma are personal to him or just stories that he's heard. Um, some of them are very funny uh, and some of them are very uh, well-made and beautiful and in, in the way that, you know, visually. But yeah, it, it's ranked this low for me. I gave it three and a half stars uh, just because it wasn't consistent. And I felt like at two hours, it was a bit long for me. Um, obviously some people disagree if it's ranked so high, but uh, for me, I couldn't get into it the way that I could some of these moving forward. So that's getting through the first 16. Now, um, I would say we're probably in this phase now where I'm gonna have a hard time uh, saying there's too much, finding any flaws with these going forward. So be prepared for it to sound like I love, adore these all. <laughs> Just fair warning. Um, number 15. Okay, so if y'all remember from the Kurosawa, the, what's it called? Uh, the, the one that I did two weeks ago. There was a film that he made um, called Madadeo, and it was his late career, Kurosawa. And even though it probably wasn't technically like a great film compared to his others, it had a strong sentimental value for me. So number 15 for me is that, it's Fellini's version of that. It's called Ginger and Fred. It, it's made in 1986 um, and it's an aging, Giulietta Massina and an aging Marcello Mastroianni. And it is, um, it's a movie that is looking backwards at aging entertainers that are having it like one last chance to kind of make a, make a stand or, or regain some of the notoriety that they had early in their career and fame, um, rekindling an old love and an old flame uh, and it's a very uh, longing, you know, the, the picture's full of longing, the picture's full of uh, long kind of uh, moments between Giulietta Messina and Marcello Mastroianni that you feel is authentic because they've been through so much together uh, behind the scenes, just being with, associated with Fellini for so long. You know, there was a while where uh, Mastroianni would not work with Fellini, uh, and so then they obviously rekindled, but this this type of relationship, uh, the, the goods and the bads and the pain and the love, it's all kind of mixed into these characters, but in a very sweet way. I like this movie quite a bit. The world does not agree with me. <laughs> it puts it right now as the 20,619th best film. Um, the only reason I can see for it being ranked low is there's, the distribution for this film is tough. So I had to find a, on YouTube of all places, was the only version I could find with subtitles. And so I, you know, it was like three bucks on YouTube. Um, I do have a disc from Italy, but it does not have English subtitles. So that was not helpful when I uh, imported it all the way from Italy. I mean, it was cheap luckily, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Ginger and Fred, 1986, near the end of his career, he looks backwards. And to me, this really like, should have been his last picture. Uh, after that, you know, he made Intervista and Voice of the Moon. We'll get into those shortly. Actually, we'll get into them presently. So Intervista is 1987. Um, I, I thought this was really fun. So he, he essentially, in Intervista, he made a mockumentary basically, or a fake documentary. And it was, it's, it's a lot of fun. So we, you, you see him early on meet this crew, this Japanese crew of documentarians that want to capture the life of Fellini. Um, and it follows him around. It, he meets Marcello Mastroianni. He goes to the house of Sophia Loren, I believe. I hope I got that right. Anita Ekberg, excuse me. He goes to the house of Anita Ekberg. He, um, it, it follows him around as he's working through the lot, uh, the Italian studio that he made all of his films. Cinecitta, uh, um, I'm sorry, I know I'm gonna get that name wrong, but it, it's going through the studio and his personal life and it's done with a wink and a nod 
Uh, you know that he's being, he's having fun with it. Uh, and it still is able to capture a lot of sweet moments. There's a really nice scene with Anita Ekberg where they're watching, where Marcelo Mastrani goes over to her house, the camera follows them there. And they have a sweet moment where they're watching La Dolce Vita. And um, it, it's just a, it's a little bit like Ginger and Fred was more sweet and maybe closer to a drama, although it had some comedy, obviously, but Intervista is more a comedy, uh, I think, and, and more lighter, but it's still, he's in that phase where he's kind of remembering his life, remembering his career. All right, now we're gonna get into one that is probably, I, for anybody who's seen it uh, and loves it, it's probably gonna be my first truly hot take, I think, um, although feel free to you know, shoot me a note if you disagree, of course, on any of these. So where are we at right now? We're at number 13, and I wanna talk about La Strada, okay? Uh, so hopefully a lot of y'all know about it. Anthony Quinn plays a uh, abusive partner slash husband, and Julieta Messina plays a dutiful and loyal spouse um, who helps him as they're traveling the country, basically in like a small circus or kind of as entertainers. Um, I understand why this movie is so beloved. I, I, I really do get it. Um, so if anybody says like, this is their favorite Fellini, um, I get it. It's ranked as the 68th best movie of all time. So it has a lot of love. It's just so dark. I can't, you'll, you'll see, I said it on the Kurosawa thing. I'll say it here too. If I'm ranking movies, it has to be about enjoyment. I cannot watch this movie all the time. It's very good. Um, but the, the message in it, I know there's a, a school of thought that there's optimism in this movie. I'm sorry, I call bullshit. But, like she has a terrible life and I won't give anything away, but to me, it doesn't get better. Um, very happy to discuss in more depth for any of those who have seen it and disagree. Uh, the first time I posted this review uh, back, it was actually last year, I got into a lengthy discussion with somebody who, who did disagree and they made their case and I just don't see it. I think this is a cynical film and I think Julieta Messina is put through uh, a torture and I don't think her character finds redemption. And so that's the only reason it's ranked lower for me. Going now to 12. It's a movie in Italian, it's called, oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna mess this up. Lo Schietto Bianco, The White Shake. Uh, so this is a very early Fellini. Um, his, his, this is the second movie. And definitely still in this kind of neorealism stage of his career. Hints of surrealism, maybe, if you think about, there's a, there's a scene where this couple uh, kind of, it's, it's falling in love, they go out to sea, and they're on a boat and that scene has elements of, you know, might be a little bit fantastical. Um, there are circus elements within the film, you know, entertainment is high movie production, uh, loud kind of some, some louder street scenes. But um, yeah, this is, a, this is a different movie. This is before Fellini had really uh, become full, full Fellini, I guess, so to speak. Um, but I gave it three and a half stars. I think this movie is very good. It, it does have the feel of, maybe like a studio picture, something that it has his touch, but not necessarily full control, control over. Um, I mentioned the writers. So this is interesting. Antonioni is actually one of the writers on this. And two of his, the team that becomes kind of his core team. So Tullio Pinelli and Ennio Flaiano. These two writers are with him on a lot of pictures and they're here as well. Uh, again, it's very early in his career. I'm sure he met them as part of the studio. Uh, it's a it's a fun movie, very very easy to watch, highly entertaining. Uh, but I think there's I think there's movies he does slightly better. That is uh, 4,619th best of all time. Okay. Uh, now, right before that, I'm going to his very first movie of all time, uh, 1950. Julieta Messina is in this, uh, playing a character named Kabiria, which certainly comes back. Um, if you look at the writers, it's, uh, it's an important one here. So it's co-directed and co-written by Alberto Latuada. He was a successful director. He gave a young Fellini a chance. And, you know, he kind of, he guessed right <laughs> this time. 
right? But he actually co-directed Variety Lights. If you look at the writers on this, Tulio Pinelli and Ennio Flaiano. So here we go, right? From the very beginning, these two were kind of around. Uh, I'm just imagining they were on the lot uh, and happened to be drawn to this crazy man in Fellini. Uh, but I have to say this, so I, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a sentence I wrote about it and I like saying, is there any more fitting start to Fellini's career than a man entertaining a crowd of non-actors, basically the public, and they're just mildly enjoying his performance. <laughs> so the first thing you see in his career is basically a middling to failed entertainer. And I love that Fellini starts with that. I feel like that theme is kind of consistent with how he views himself and how, he, you know, especially early in his career. Um, but, you know, as we see movies like The Clowns, maybe how he perceives uh, the public's reaction to circuses and clowns is, uh, as the, the style of entertainment grows and changes. Um, but I love that intro. Uh, not really what the whole movie is about, um, but um, it's, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's, there's, uh, you, I've talked about this idea that Fellini brings in kind of two parts of the personality, this duality into his characters. It's certainly on display here. So the main character, uh, Checho, he's, trying to become that next level up, that impresario status. And so he takes on these young stars and he kind of begs, bars and steals to get going. And he has this uh, destructive relationship with women. He can't help himself. So all of these themes are, are in there right away. People trying to better themselves, uh, people that are swindling, either whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, uh, hustlers, you know, uh, people that have kind of mixed and uh, troubled relationships with women, all these themes are, are baked into his story, his very first film. Um, highly entertaining. I gave it four stars and it is rated as the 12,386 best picture of all time. Um, I'm thinking that's just because not as many people have seen it or maybe they just didn't like it as much. But to me, this film is great. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I have it as my 11th best film of all time from Fellini. Now we're getting into top 10, the real heavy hitters for me. Um, there's, I'll, I'll talk about this more as I get into these. One of the themes that I think you're gonna hear me talk a lot about in these 10 movies is the way that Fellini draws out things that are very personal, real life experience and puts his own spin on them. And uh, I, think he, I think when he does that, his films are, are amazing. And so these ones really jumped out to me from uh, movies where he was able to pull from his life in some capacity and uh, make something beautiful. So number 10 was a movie that came out in 1973, certainly past like what you might call peak Fellini, um, but still, you know, in the, in the prime of his career. Uh, it is ranked as the 65th best film of all time. So the world loves it. And it's called Amarcord. Um, the English translation is, I believe it's called I Remember or To Remember, something like that. Uh, look, this is one where I did not like it when I first saw it, okay? Uh, I didn't get it, it felt meandering. Uh, but then I, I listened to the either commentary or I, or I read a paper on it or I read a, you know, analysis of it. I, I, I don't think this is giving away spoilers. I hope not. I'm just trying to think if there's a way to phrase this. But look, if you watch Amarcord, first of all, if you haven't seen it, uh, I would say see it. And watch it through the lens of Fellini reacting to how he felt Mussolini and the church worked to keep Italians in a perpetual state of adolescence. Okay. In his perspective, they arrested the development of a nation by um, the, the, the way that they forced people into a state of immaturity. Uh, they were taught not to think. They were kept down financially, not able to grow financially, economically. They were not able to grow uh, in education. And they were limited in, you know, through the, through the church, they were limited in imagination. And this is his angry reaction to that. And the way that he tells this story, because I don't believe he holds on to a lot of anger, or if he does, he gets it out in creative ways. Um, the way he 
channels that is to tell a story of a small town that is getting ready for a festival um, and is getting ready for a big, big send off uh, for, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the, the troops that are invading them and they're there and uh, in, in their land, <coughs> in their city. Uh, and it's, I think it's a movie that probably needs to be seen twice, but just go through with that lens of this is Fellini's reaction to what he views as an intentional or unintentional, but one of the consequences of being taken over by either a military group or a church group and forcing a, an entire nation into this adolescence and, and not able to grow fully and mature like they could otherwise. I think in that lens, to me, it's a uh, meticulous picture. It's quite beautiful. Uh, I gave it five stars with that in mind. And it is, by the way, part of the Central Fellini set. So, um, number eight, uh, excuse me, number nine, the Notti di Caviria, all right, Knights of Caviria. So uh, this is another one that some people put as their favorite. I will say I watched it again uh, recently and it probably would move up for me on a second watch. I haven't updated the rankings yet. This movie is basically perfect. So um, Julieta Messina, again, she plays this character that was introduced in uh, Variety Lights, but not really fleshed out. She's a sex worker and She's, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to better herself. So uh, she, you, you see her uh, work to save up. She has her own home. She does not sleep on the streets. Um, she has maintained her sense of uh, groundedness to, to the community. She's maintained her sense of self. She has confidence. Um, she is not resigned to being a sex worker. She wants more for her life. And she pushes very hard for these things. And the first time I saw it, uh, the reason I ranked this nine instead of higher was because I felt that it was maybe a little cynical and the ending was, was hard to, to watch. But actually I've come around on this. So I think it's a movie that benefits from watching it twice. I think knowing how it ends, um, for me, it made the movie much more sweet and optimistic. And I think there's a cyclical nature to the psychology of this movie that I loved. And I think is a, is a really fun movie to discuss. So I still have it ranked as ninth. Again, if I re-rank, it might be higher, but I'd have to re-watch all these movies to re-rank. And so I don't know, we'll see. But um, I gave it five stars. This movie was ranked as the 196th best picture of all time. Uh, it's, it's quite beloved and I get it. And I think this is, this is uh, Julietta Messina's favorite role for me outside of one more movie, which we'll get to shortly. But amazing film. Okay, this one, there's a few of these that are coming up, um, two specifically, that are Fellini just unhinged. And I love them. So one of them is 1976. It's uh, Fellini's Casanova, okay? It, this actually did sneak into the top 1000. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. So it's ranked as the 944th best picture of all time. It stars a uh, Donald Sutherland in what has to be the craziest role he's ever had, if not one of the craziest roles of all times. <laughs> um, I want to, you know, mention that one of the writers on this movie is Bernardino Zapponi. So Bernardino Zapponi, if you look at when this movie was made, 1976, uh, this is a writer that got attached to Fellini when he was in his surrealist phase. And they seem to be like two peas in a pod. This movie is nuts. Uh, it's just basically about this horny, uh, insane, <laughs> lustful guy. It's like it's almost like um, you know you talk about the ego and the super ego and the id. This movie is almost like full id for Fellini, because it's just this his retelling of Casanova. Um, he, you, you get to see somebody so perverse and playful and naughty, but, but also childlike. And it's, again, it's that duality in the character that's there 
uh, and scene to scene, you see both sides of this character. Sometimes even within the scene, you get to see both sides. Um, and you see this guy who's so, uh, he, he views himself uh, as this, uh, you know, wealthy, uh, part of the wealthy court and part of uh, what's it called, nobility. And he's kind of not quite there, but he's chasing it. And uh, yeah, anyways, it's, it's just a, I gave it four stars. It's a movie that has to be seen. Some of the visuals in this, although they're tempered down compared to some of the ones we're gonna talk about in a moment, but um, most of the visuals are done with set design, uh, but they're, they're still within the context of that. They're completely outlandish and crazy. There's a scene where uh, Donald Sutherland's having sex with basically like this kind of circular crown that has candles on it on top of his head. Um, hilarious. Uh, I really love this movie. This is a Kino Lorber release. So not part of the um, Fellini set, but um, one that is amazing. And I think anybody should seek out. And it's a pity that it's not uh, uh, not part of the Criterion Collection, but maybe, maybe one day it will be. Okay, um, <laughs> speaking of personal stories, we're gonna kind of go back from the completely surreal, although there's elements of surrealism in this, maybe it's a little bit lighter touch. Seventh favorite Fellini movie for me is a very personal one for him. Uh, it's Giulietta degli Spiriti. Again, sorry for any Italians, Giulietta of the Spirits. Um, so uh, five stars, I, I gave this five stars. Uh, it's, it's a movie that I found very few flaws in. Um, it's just ranked a little bit below Casanova, 974th best film of all time. Um, I, this is my favorite Julietta Messina performance. I feel like in all of her other roles, she's acting and she's a, she's a very good actor. Um, uh, but this feels to me like she's not acting. This is, um, I think a little bit of a, a apology letter and a love letter to uh, Messina from Fellini. There's some things going on in their personal life around this time. This was 1965. Uh, I think Fellini was somebody who uh, there's there's a lot of very interesting documentaries about him. Um, he certainly had his own uh, struggles with fidelity, um, but there's, and he was a difficult personality to be around anyways, but he was a man that loved very deeply and very passionately. And I think he rightfully, well, from what I can tell anyways, rightfully saw that Masita was some, Masina was somebody who understood him and he wanted in his life in a very meaningful way. And so, this was uh, a movie for her, um, recognizing his flaws as he saw them, not as the audience sees them, um, recognizing her for being a very pure and, and uh, honest soul um, without being cheesy. The, the, the movie has a lot of honesty in it. And I think it's a very beautiful movie. It's very soft, it's very touching. Uh, and the, the, the supporting characters in this are, are fantastic. Some of the set pieces in here are quite beautiful, very striking, um, uh, simple, I would say, but still quite beautiful. There's a, a scene where there's sort of like a sun tent that's being set up on the beach where Juliet goes to sit on the beach and just be by ocean. And uh, the way that he uses colors in this sun tent by one of her neighbors, um, there's very striking colors. It makes for very beautiful scenery. Um, so Juliet of the Spirits, it is a part of the essential Fellini set. Uh, and I give it five stars and I have it ranked as number seven. Now, let me see, I wanna make sure this is true. Number six is, well, okay, not quite true, but I think this is the, this is, there's two more sort of neorealism films in here um, that I'm gonna cover. So number six was an early film from uh, Fellini Right after Variety Lights and the White Shake, he made E Vitaloni. I don't think it has an Italian translation. E Vitaloni's uh, 1953, it is a movie that's ranked really quite high on the, uh, on the list. It's ranked as 594th best film of all time. Uh, I know Adam from our, uh, from They Live By Film has said this is his favorite one. Um, I, I get if somebody says this is their favorite one. I, it's it's a, a very extremely well-made movie. Um, it's, uh, by the way, it is part of the Essential Fellini set. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, 
the theme here that I kind of called out is, you know, in a small town, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So here's the thing. If you think about his career, he made Variety Lights, which was, you know, certainly had his touches, but not personal movie. The White Shake, which again, uh, I think it was him writing for somebody else. Evie Deloney seems to me like a movie where he was starting to write for himself. So five friends, they as they kind of navigate, navigate life in a small town, um, they, they deal with their families, they deal with their jobs, they deal with their dreams. Um, the, the title translates to loafers, layabouts. There's a, there's a translation called fattened calves. <laughs> uh, but it's this idea of people that are just kind of useless. Um, and I think he, he means this in a uh, funny way. Um, you know, within the characters themselves, they certainly have dreams and aspirations of not being useless. Um, but we get to watch them struggle with that and, and get into the same patterns of behaviors that keep them in their place. You know, I think this, to me, I, I view this as a personal film for Fellini because he comes from a small town. He was able to get out. And I think uh, it, it just strikes me of, um, th th there's, a, there's two different versions of Fellini's life. So had he not dropped everything and left this small town to go pursue to become Federico Fellini, become a knight, uh, it's, it's called Order of Merit in, in the Italian Republic. The alternative for him was to stay in Rimini, Italy and work in a portrait shop. <laughs> and uh, so he, that was what his father's job was. And, you know, he, he chose not to do that and complain about what life could be. And he chose to take it by the horns and, and run hard uh, towards that vision. I love him for that. And I think this movie needs to be seen. Uh, and I think it's a, yeah, I put it as number six. Uh, like I said before, it could easily be moved around. All the films in here could easily be moved around. I don't really have anything negative to say here. It's a fantastic movie and one that I hope everybody gets a chance to watch. All right, top five. So um, I'll quickly go through these. I want to say these movies to me have all left a big impression on me in one way or another. I think about them a lot in different ways, different times. Uh, and there, there's different reasons, which I'll get into why that's true. Uh, but if I think about Fellini, these are the movies that jump out to me as the core Fellini film, right? So number five, um, it's a Arrow Academy release on Blu-ray, if you're looking for it. It's called Orchestra Rehearsal or The Decline of the West in C Major. Um, I love this movie so much. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> it's 1,863rd. Uh, he took, imagine a, a somebody who has the ability to take a story about literally orchestra rehearsal. Okay. And turn it into a, uh, a way that a group responds to uh, crisis and war and potentially the end of the world. Uh, and it, it, it's almost like a Monty Python style of plot and story. And there's, it easily could be a Monty Python uh, scene, to be honest, sometimes. But the way that he does it, the way that he handles it is a very Fellini uh, it's extremely funny. I think it's shot a documentary at times and it, it kind of switches back and forth between a, a documentary and a narrative seamlessly. So you never really know where his intention was, um, but it is amazing. Uh, he, one of his favorite composers, it was his work, Nino Rota. Uh, and the writer on this was Brunello Rondi, which is again, one of these later life writers that he worked with not a part of his initial crew. Um, but yeah, 1978 orchestra rehearsal. Uh, it's, uh, I, I feel like it's extremely criminally underseen and a movie that I love very dearly and I hope you all get a chance to watch. Now, these top four are probably ones that are gonna be a surprise um, and ones that are probably all part of people's top five, uh, just ranked in different orders, but I'll, I'll explain why they're ranked they are the way for me. So. Number four, I do not believe has an English title. I could be wrong, um, but it's La Dolce Vita. Uh, it's the 30th best movie of all time. 
1960. This is peak Fellini when he was a commercial success and artistic success. Um, he's, I think it's the last one. Let me let's see if this is true. Yeah, uh, other than his the, the anthology film that he made, this is his move away from neorealism. And the way that I kind of talk about this or think about this, excuse me, is that Fellini made a decision that he was still being confined within this genre of neorealism and the writers were still trying to make movies that felt like they were working in that style and they weren't fully him. So you, you see the beginnings of, I think his wrestling with this and they, they come to fruition in eight and a half, which I'll get to shortly, but you, you see him wrestling and you see him starting to feel uncomfortable with fame and it's not enough and he's, he's unsatisfied or dissatisfied and he's chasing love, but it's not the right kind of love. And I think in, there's just a lot of wrestling and unsettling uh, behavior that's going on in this movie. And uh, it's, I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful movie. I gave it five stars. Um, and uh, Anita Ekberg is in this movie as the one of the love interests. The other love interest is Anouk Aimee. Uh, it's, um, uh, this is the, the writing crew that really helped bring him up to fame. It's uh, Tullio Pinelli, Ennio Flaiano, Brunello Rondi. Oh, I was wrong. I guess Rondi isn't there from the beginning. So he was also there in orchestra rehearsal. And then actually, um, funny enough, this one also was written by, uh, at least contributed by Pier Paolo Pasolini. So I had a lot of the Italian neorealist filmmakers there in the room. Um, and they, they wrote a film that was both a celebration of uh, Rome, as well as a interpersonal struggle as somebody works to define what their future is going to be and what's really important to them. I think it's one of the films that does that better than anything uh, I've seen. Clearly a five stars and I could watch it pretty much any time. I think it's a it's a relatively perfect movie. Um, I just happen to like these next three more. So 1969, um, Fellini drops something that it's, it, I cannot imagine seeing Fellini's name attached to this, expecting, not, not knowing what to expect and going in and watching Satyricon. So the writers on this were Brunello Rondi, Bernardino Zapponi. So this is when they started getting involved. And they based it off of a uh, old uh, uh, plot by a guy named Petronius. But if you think about what was going on around this time, he made Juliet of the Spirits, uh, Toby Dammit, which was that short film he made as part of the anthology. And this was his first declaration of not Fellini the neorealist, but Fellini the surrealist. And he made a sci-fi movie in every aspect, except for the fact that it doesn't take place in space, right? This movie takes place in ancient Rome. Uh, it's a play on the story of Satyricon. Uh, it's the story of a group of uh, I guess older men and, and the younger boy, uh, Gitone, or Gitone, Gitone. And it, there's a, an earthquake that comes in and destroys the home and he, and he has a chance to leave. Um, and he just kind of goes in between these different surrealist scenes and crazy scenes and orgies and, and he, and he uh, is beloved everywhere he goes and he gets to see this ancient Rome. Uh, and it's, I love it for two reasons. Number one, I love it because it's watching Fellini uh, break away from the neorealist traditions and put his stamp on the world and saying, this is who I am. It's exciting to see it, I think, in that historical context. But I, I believe it's a movie that if you can go into it knowing what to expect, uh, it's just also such a damn like fun movie to see. Uh, it's ranked as the 574th best movie of all time. It's just a constant visual feast. Like this constant, just it just hits you over the head with these crazy visuals and crazy scenarios. And it's, the scale is huge. And like I said, it feels like a sci-fi movie as he goes through Rome, uh, ancient Rome. But I think it, it's just the way that Fellini uses lighting and colors uh, and set design and costumes and the way that he tells this story. Uh, is so unique, never really seen anything like it. Uh, clear five stars for me and the third, my, my third favorite film from him.
These final two I'm going to talk about are just something that have uh, that I, I love um, and are probably number two is I'm going to say I love it more for emotional reasons, uh, just in terms of what way it hit me. And number one, I'm going to say it's it's more of intellectual reasons, kind of intellectual and emotional reasons. Um, but number two is in the ship sails on. So the Italian is la nave va. Um, it, the quickest way to, oh, uh, what year did it come out? This year, it came out in 1983. So this is a very late uh, Fellini film, right? A very late career Fellini film. 1,589th best film of all time. Uh, this is a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I'm serious. It's a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, not fully. And there are, it is 100% a Fellini movie. But the visuals and the way that he tells this story visually, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, the other thing it is, is a opera. So he, he set a, an opera on a ship, this large ship, cruise ship. And he, uh, it, we track this cruise as they're uh, laying to rest uh, an opera singer, the most famous opera singer in the world who died and in her last wishes, she wanted to have kind of a big party on a boat and be put to sea uh, in a particular spot in her hometown uh, where she was born. And so it attracts these, uh, this crew of opera singers and reporters and the kind of you know, economical elite or financial elite as they're all the people who can afford essentially to go on this big party. Um, I, I love this movie. The reason I have it ranked too is simply the way it makes me feel when I watch it. I have a, a big dumb smile on my face the whole time. It's such an enjoyable movie to watch. I love watching the, the, the real life opera singers when they do get to sing. I think Fellini weaves in the opera in very creative ways. Um, it's, a, it's such a unique movie. Uh, it's quietly, I think, uh, is one of his best movies. Uh, not a lot of people talk about it as much, but uh, I, I guarantee you won't be disappointed if you seek it out and, and find it. Uh, it is part of the essential Fellini set. So um, easy to find in that way. Okay, number one. So thanks again for going on this journey with me. Um, my number one uh, Fellini movie for me. And let me just double check if this is true, but I'm pretty sure my number one, number one best movie of all time uh, in general. Yeah, it still is ranked number one for me. Eight and a half. So uh, the reason it's called eight and a half, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's uh, he had made eight feature length films and one short film before this. So he had made eight and a half pictures in his mind. Uh, I, I love this film. Uh, obviously it's five stars for me. It's ranked very high. It's ranked as the uh, sixth best movie of all time. So it's widely beloved. I don't have to, I don't have to heap the, the praises on this too much. I'll just tell you the reasons I love it. Uh, it there's a, Mm, I'm, I'm going to use this word loosely, so bear with me. There's a punk rock element to the way that Fellini was at the complete peak of his career after La Dolce Vita and Knights of Cabiria and Il Bedone was a success. Like he just kept having these financial successes. He kept gaining notoriety and power, but inside he was wrestling. He was not happy. And he made a movie about a man uh, whose name was Guido Anselmi. It's uh, Marcelo Mastroianni in the role. And this man is struggling as a writer. He has writer's block. He can't finish his picture. And I'm going to spoil the ending a little bit because I don't think it, it impacts the movie at all. Um, he, ends with the, he ends the movie by making this public declaration that the picture's back on and he's going to do it his way. And I think the way that I interpret this ending and the way that I interpret the flow of this movie and the overall story of this movie is this is Fellini in 1963, stamping his feet, his hands on the table, declaring to the world, I am not the director that you know me as. I am so much more than this. I need you to come along on this journey with me and, uh, and trust me, and we're gonna have some fun together, but I have to make my movies now. I cannot make your movies. I'm not a neorealist director, I'm Fellini, and here, and just be embraced for what's about to come, what's about to hit. And he does, and I love it. Um, and I think this movie is uh, something that is worth every possible inch of praise it can get. And um, I hope you get a chance to see it if you haven't. Okay, 
look, we did it, y'all. Um, thank you so much for going on this journey. Uh, I could talk about Fellini for another hour. I know that I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> Please find me on Reddit, find me on Instagram. Tell me you think my ratings are out of control. Tell me those ones you love, tell me the ones you hate. Like, let's talk. I really do, this, this whole thing for me is to, to get to know y'all, uh, to get to engage with y'all. Um, find a way to reach out to me and tell me that I'm crazy for liking these movies as much as I do, or, or you love it. Um, and thank you so much. We'll see you, uh, we'll see you around uh, very soon.